People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. In a recent webinar that we held online, we took a deep dive into the drivers of the construction industry across the Bay Area and how it is evolving in light of the global challenges affecting every aspect of development. I sat down with leaders at Clark Construction, Penco Builders, Nibby Brothers, and Goodell & Coco to ask how their businesses are doing, what challenges they have encountered over the past few years, and how the industry as a whole is adapting to the new normal of a post-COVID world affected by labor and supply chain challenges. Here is our conversation. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Vladimir. I'm the co-founder and publisher of The Registry. Thank you for joining us for our construction forum today. Uh, really appreciate you guys taking the time and um, joining us. We're going to uh, take a bit of a deep dive into the drivers of the commercial uh, real estate construction industry, uh, how it's evolving, and sort of some of the you know challenges that uh, our, our, our panelists here are faced with uh, every day. So, Looking forward to a lively conversation about everything pertaining to you know construction. Um, so you know, thanks for thanks for joining us again. Um, before we get started, I would um, love for our speakers just to uh, say hello and introduce themselves. Um, so, Hani, why don't we start with you? You're the you're the first here on the on the on the event poster. I'll I'll let you say hi. Yeah. Good morning. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Um, Hani Alane. With Clark Construction, I look after a diverse portfolio of our projects in the um, Bay Area. I really look forward to the discussion today with industry friends and colleagues and look more forward to some candid good questions about the industry, the largest in the world. All right. Thank you. Uh, Scott? Morning. Thank you, Vladimir. My name is Scott Anderson. I'm CEO of Panko Builders, Panko's 58-year-old design builder known for collaborative delivery and self-performance, innovative concrete work, uh, focused on two markets, really, Northern and Southern California. Um, just happy to be here and be part of the panel today. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Scott. Uh, Bob? Morning, everybody. I'm Bob Nibby. I'm president and CEO of Nibby Brothers General Contractors. Uh, our company was founded by my grandfather in 1915, so we're uh, approaching our 72nd year here sh shortly. Uh, we do uh, commercial and multifamily work uh, in the greater Bay Area. Excellent. Uh, and Steve, last but not least. Hello, everybody. And uh, thank you for uh, having me uh, in the meeting. Uh, my name is Steve Smith, uh, Senior Project Manager with the Goodell & Coco. We are a medium-sized commercial general contractor 
uh, mostly here in the Bay Area. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, Pankow, Nibby, and also Goodell and Kokel have uh, helped us put this event together. Um, I, have a, I have a brief video from um, actually Goodell and Kokel that I want to show really quickly here. So um, I'm going to do that right now. All right. Um, well, thank you all again. Um, I'd like to kick off our conversation. Uh, you all mentioned a little bit about sort of the areas in which your companies work, but uh, maybe let's uh, just spend a few minutes and kind of, you know, level set, give us a baseline of sort of, you know, where are you guys, you know, active now? Where are your specialties? And um, uh, just so we kind of have an understanding sort of where your points of view are going to come from. So I'll, I'll kind of start alphabetically again. Um, Hanny, I'll go with you and then we'll, we'll, we'll go down, down, down the line. Yeah, thank you. So if you look at a little bit at the past, you know, you look at the projects, the chase centers, the sales forces, uh, uh, block towers of the world that were all, you know, completed successfully since then. And we actually anticipated a recession, you know, the economy wasn't gonna go um, the same speed every 10 years or so there's a cycle. Nobody knew it was COVID. So we started to switch really to public a few years ago, which um, has materialized really well during the pandemic. Those projects were all deemed essential and kept on going. That has been our focus on smaller jobs as well, the animal care control or, or, or the crime lab. Um, we've done the student housing and the apartments and the higher ed, um, a lot of healthcare. So um, this year's and next year, I think we're going to be about um, uh, public. We're looking forward to the private market to come back and more also on the infrastructure, which we have a division that does that and looking for more vertical integration um, opportunities. There. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Scott, how about you guys? As a small, you know, mid-sized regional builder, diversity is the key, right? We mentioned or I mentioned that collaborative delivery is really our specialty and self-performance of direct structural concrete work. So we're across multiple you know, market sectors, both institutional, private, commercial. So we'll do, you know, uh, the public safety building in San Francisco is a great project. And at the same time, we just completed the San Francisco Conservatory of Mus Music's headquarters, you know, down in Los Angeles. We'll be working with LACCD or the um, um, NFL, building the new NFL headquarters stadium right across from SoFi Stadium. But we're also doing multifamily so you're just as likely to find us building institutional buildings as you are multifamily, education, malls, retail, um, but also diversity on project size. Uh, we're not all as big as Clark, who, you know, who has a volume the size of a small, you know, small government. Um, big for us is a couple hundred million dollars, but we also do projects under a million. So the ability to stay diverse and stay nimble, not just building new ground up, but renovating, uh, remodel, extending the service life of, life of existing buildings, uh, that's what that's what we're up to. But the common theme is partnering with our clients and collaborative delivery. Great, great, great. Uh, Bob, how about you guys? 
Yeah, similar to what Scott was saying with uh, Panico, diversity is key for us. Our strongest market right now is multifamily, uh, market rate multifamily, affordable subsidized housing, student housing, senior housing, um, also variety of commercial work, seismic historic, waterfront work. Uh, we do, we're very strong with our self-perform uh, uh, aspects of the business too, concrete and, and, uh, and framing as well. Great, great, great. And Steve, how about you guys? Well, medium size uh, commercial general contractor. We only do commercial, and um, you know we're very diverse. We do we do some medical, you know, TI ground ups, Class A office, auto auto dealerships, um, you know, retail, um, basically anything commercial. That's what we'll do. Banks offices. Uh, we've been really fortunate, you know, getting into the life science. We've always had a uh, a sector of our business that was uh, biotech and and life science focused and which obviously with the, the state of uh, the way things are now, it, it's worked out very good for us. It's kept us very busy. Uh, we offer, you know, a lot of service in that regard to customers that are looking at doing conversions and stuff like that. We do a lot of budgeting and feasibility and, and uh, um, it's, it's a good, good sector to be in. And like I said, we're diverse and, and staying busy. Yeah. And, Thank you for that. One of the reasons I wanted to sort of start off with this is I, I just wanted to level set and give it, you know, the audience a bit of a of a sense of where 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 you guys play and sort of um, as 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 we talk about the industry, I think that's that's that that's an important aspect of it. Um, you know, for our audience, what what I would like to also um, invite you guys to to do, I, I want this to be as conversational as possible. We're not going to have a formal Q and A at the end of this. Panel, so please feel free to you know post questions during our conversation, and I'll try to incorporate them into 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 the chat. So now that we know what everybody does and who everybody is, um, I would love to get a little bit of a sense of you know where the industry is. You know, here we are, you know, Q four of twenty twenty one. Where 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 is industry? How how healthy is it? How how good are things? Um, who wants to start? Bob, let's let's go with you. Oh. Okay, honey, there, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think the industry is um, in a very good shape. Um, there is a lot of opportunities. It's um, if somebody doubted the resiliency of the industry, look at the last year and a half and what we did in a pandemic. We kept the jobs moving. We protected the workers at the job site. The industry wasn't a cause for COVID outbreaks. Um, we finished two jobs below budget on schedule or ahead of schedule with zero COVID outbreaks and zero COVID-related claims. So if we can handle that, the future is nothing but bright. Uh, back to Scott, um, the, the collaborative delivery is where we excel at and where the industry needs to go. And we look forward to those opportunities. Yep. Bob, I think I was going to call on you next. So, <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. You know, uh, overall, the industry is busy, but, but it definitely seems segmented. You know, for us, affordable housing is very, very busy. Market rate housing, it's tough for our clients to get deals to pencil in this environment. So, so that's very quiet right now. Uh, you know, we've done work out at the airport. We're doing work out at SFO. And of course, they were basically shut down for a year. Right. They're, they're now starting to come back. So, so it's, it's, it's choppy, I would say. Yeah, I'd say if, if the theme for 2020 was, you know, chaos, I'm very proud. Um, like Hani said, I'm very proud of our industry. We proved we could pivot and keep people healthy. Right. We proved we could pivot 
and have a remote workforce supporting active project sites where everybody was still reporting to duty every day. Right. You know, we lived through the turmoil of 2020, but 21, I think it's uncertainty. Um, we have many clients that don't know where their, you know, their equity stack's going to come from, or they can't get commercial lending. And so while the opportunity flow is still great, there's still lots of people, you know, planning to do lots of work. There's still, a, you know, to me, a significant amount of uncertainty as to the road ahead, which has some owners pulling back, not knowing if now's the right time to buy, concerns about supply chain issues. Um, you know, now's a great time to be a, a, an active partner with your clients, uh, not being commoditized. People are not going to succeed in a silo with the uncertainty that we're in the midst of and that I still see lies ahead. But yeah, the good news is there's, there's lots of active dialogue about getting things done. Yeah, I agree. You know, 2020 was us all trying to figure out how we were going to keep people safe and, and keep the industry moving. We definitely did that. I know, you know, on our life science end of it, uh, we were involved with a lot of, we were already, you know, in the middle of some pretty large life science conversion projects. Right. And in that being said, that followed right into working with companies that uh, innovated some of the testing and methods for COVID-19. So we felt very fortunate to be a part of that and very fortunate to be in a place in the position we were at to move that in that part of the industry forward. But with that being said, we're also seeing a huge pickup for 21. And like I said, we have auto dealerships. Um, we also do a lot of electronic manufacturing, testing, uh, R&D uh, facilities. Um, we're, we're barely keeping up. Um, there's all the other issues that, that complicate it, that make, make it more difficult to do what we do. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but um, overall, 20, 2020 was tough. 21 is looking busy and um, man, we're looking forward to a bright future. Yeah, Stephen, that, that's a good segue uh, because one of the things I wanted to also ask you is, you know, from a you know, revenue point of view, how did 2021 shape up to be for, for everybody? Did it surprise you um, in a positive way um, or were you, uh, you know, pleasantly sort of, uh, um, you know, surprised that things were, you know, moving again as quickly as they were? Goodell and Coastal, yeah, I mean, we were fine. Uh, we kind of didn't miss a beat. There were certain sectors, uh, certain sectors that slowed down, and other sectors that picked up. So um, it wasn't it wasn't our our best year, but it definitely wasn't our worst. So we felt fortunate. Yeah, uh, Scott, Bob, and Honey, how about you guys? Yeah, after after a decade of strong growth, um, twenty was a plow through. We actually exceeded our projections from the beginning of the year, which which again was data that we were able to stay just as productive, if not more productive while pivoting um, to remote workforce and, and keeping people safe at the job sites. For 21, we did have an interruption in the pipeline and it's not about a lack of opportunities. It was wins that then didn't, you know, matriculate on to the, to the actual, you know, active construction and turn into revenue. And that's, you know, that's the biggest impact for us is, projects that you'll spend two to three years in California in a collaborative delivery mode, helping get to the point where they're financed and ready to go to the field. And when those projects get stalled or delayed, you don't replace that volume quickly, you know, but that's where we pivoted to putting even more energy and resources into renovation projects, smaller, fast hitting projects. And, you know, in my opinion, that's, that's the best recipe is being nimble, right? If you can keep your resources, um, nimble and moving to where the need is to where your clients have a problem that needs to be solved right now, then right. you're going to be more successful as a business. But for us, that was, that was a key. 21 was uh, a slower year than 20. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for us, 2020 was a record year in terms of revenue. 21 will be down about 10%, but still a, a very successful year. Uh, for us, it came down to, uh, you know, we, we kind of saw this coming last September where competition for tax credit funding on the affordable housing deals became very, very tight. And, and so uh, basically what happened uh, a few months ago is the governor and, and the state, state legislature ended up putting one and three quarters billion dollars uh, going to the State Department of Housing and Community Development to fund additional affordable housing. And, and several of those were projects that, that we had in pre-construction. So, uh, so we're, we're um, you know, some of those are, are starting now and, and we're expecting 2022 to be very busy again. Okay, interesting, yeah. And um, uh, for, for us, back to the diversity and pivoting, uh, back to, you know, we anticipated something is going to happen. So you look at maybe um, this year and end of last year, we uh, brought three jobs to GNP worth around $800 million, all public funded. So really those jobs just keep going. While there is a focus on the revenue, it will, you know, ebb and flow. But if you have a job and you're not billing at the beginning as much as in the middle or the end, you still need to have the people to set the job up. So in terms of the workforce, really wasn't, wasn't impacted and those jobs um, kept on progressing um, we, the last six months, bought $500 million worth of trade packages, all within budget, despite an escalating market. It can be done, and there's, I'm sure, um, some anxiety in the market and questions that are going to come up. But if we work together and collaborate, it can be done. We can mitigate that. Yeah. And I, and I don't want to focus too much on COVID. This will be kind of my last kind of COVID-related COVID question. Um, but what, what were some of the biggest lessons learned in 2020, 2021? Um, you know, things that maybe, you know, you didn't anticipate, but really sort of shaped kind of the, uh, you know, industry, um, some anecdotes perhaps that you find very interesting. Well, I could, I could jump, you know, right in there, Vladimir. The big, the biggest thing is, is I was joking with somebody the other day, you know, we used to sit down, we used to be awarded a nice size project and we'd sit down and we'd say, okay. Let's identify the lead time items and let's focus on those. Unfortunately, now the whole job's a lead time. I mean, with supply chain and stuff like that. So that's, that's, the, real, that's the real struggle that combined with um, some of the other delays that have been caused by, you know, everything else, COVID, you know, if this is our last conversation on that, uh, it's, it's made things difficult and we've had to uh, navigate through it and find, find better ways to set up projects, uh, expand our, our, our vendor base, our supplier, subcontractor base. So it, it's been some challenges um, and uh, we've all kind of had to learn how to navigate through it. Yeah. Yeah. So for you guys, it was sort of the lead time kind of was the, was the big lesson learned. You know, material suppliers, lead times, right. uh, everything else that goes with that. And then also, um, you know, jurisdictional approvals, permitting and everything else. If it took three months, it now takes four <coughs> to six months and it's, Perfect. Every, everything got harder and longer to deal with in the last couple of years. And uh, we as contractors had to try to navigate through that. Yeah. Bob, how about you guys? Yeah, I, I was surprised early on uh, in the pandemic that we didn't see the impact on, on availability of materials right away. Uh, you know, things were changing on a daily basis in terms of keeping job, job sites safe and the workforce safe. And uh, that was it seemed like every day there was something new to deal with, but then it took a few months before we've ended up with, with uh, the, the situation that we have now in terms of, of availability of materials and products. 
Yeah. And Hani and Scott, how about you guys? Scott, go ahead. Yeah, well, I'd say the irony, uh, irony of all irony is as we found ourselves separated and more isolated, collaboration and communication became more important than ever. And, you know, leveraging technology or not, you had to you know, stay in touch with your supply chain. As general contractors, even when you self-perform work, you, you know, 70 to 90 percent of the work is done through others. And so those trade partner relationships, finding new trade partners, expanding your, your database or actually diving deeper into the local communities to source things from your own you know, neighborhood, so to speak. The people, the people and the connections and the relationships you build mattered more than ever. Right. At some point or another, we are a service industry and we have to be problem solvers that provide timely and accurate right. information to clients and solve, you know, solve their pain points. And that became more true than ever. Even while we found ourselves isolated, we had to you know, leverage technology to come together to make that happen. Yeah. Couldn't agree more on the people part, um, the permit and the supply chain, just on the people really, you know, overall, we understand how resilient we are as humans and the um, industry literally has stepped up. All, all the, you know, our, our design partners, trade partners, our clients, everybody stepped up, even the inspectors um, and innovated and solved problems like Scott talked about. It's a people's business. Most of us are in it to deal with people and solve problems. If you told me 18 months ago, we're going to be doing inspections um, over FaceTime, that would have been a nice joke. And But we pivoted quickly. It's not just the tech industry who pivoted. We did too. Um, and really, the innovation and the commitment that the people exhibited in this industry was not that surprising. It was refreshing um, in the last year or so. Yeah. Any favorite collaboration tool that you guys uh, you know, really fell in love with during, during this period? <laughs> Not Zoom. <laughs> Not Zoom, except <laughs> Zoom, other than Zoom. <laughs> All right. Well, let me let me get uh, jump into sort of the you know meat of things because there's a couple of questions that are you know popping up, and this was on our kind of discussion um, list of things to talk about. Um, but the construction industry um, often uh, by, uh, you know, all sort of measures is, you know, usually the first to get blamed for escalating costs. And, you know, you'd hear, you know, developers sort of, uh, you know, complain about that um, a lot. So I want to give you guys an opportunity to talk about that a little bit. Um, obviously, the uh, supply chain issues are real. People issues are also very, very real, not not just in your industry, but everywhere else, right? Um Let's talk about sort of what are some of these things that are driving some of these es 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 escalating costs. And, um, um, you know, Steve, as you said, every, you know, the whole project is now um, all about lead time, right? Not, not just like one element or, or, or the other. So uh, who wants to take a stab at that? I'll lead off. I'll go for this one. Um, Step right back and you say whether it was the actual COVID interruption, shutting down plants or, or the, the famous deep freeze in, in Texas impacting a lot of the materials, you know, or the fact that everybody was trapped at home and couldn't travel. So they started spending their money on consumer goods. And then all of a sudden you're looking at the port, you know, and you can't get you can't get <clears throat> freight unloaded. Right. Um, nothing can be taken for granted. Right. That's the world we live in now. And the idea that you have to really, you know, step back and have a methodical way to challenge the supply chain, you know, it, it really just speaks to collaboration again. You know, owners really lead us literally in how they procure their contractor, how they procure their designers, what the delivery model looks like, then sets the tone for how the project's gonna be delivered. And so again, 
um, in, in my world now more than ever, the fact that you can have a team come together early and use people with a specialized skill and experience and relationships to plan your work and to plan, you know, material selection can help dictate your schedule. The further you get down the pipeline of design and completed CDs before you have a contractor team, including your trade partners at the table, the less you're going to have the ability to influence your outcomes. So now more than ever, when nothing can be taken for granted, collaborative delivery is the vehicle to shine and to help solve problems and plan from the beginning for the outcome you desire. Um, sorry if that sounded like a commercial for, for collaborative delivery, but that's the world we live in, in the uncertain times, getting real people together with that last planner mentality. That's how you manage a supply chain at risk and give your owner reliable information. It was a good commercial, Scott. Thank you, sir. <laughs> so, Vlad, I think the interesting thing for us is, you know, we're, we're seeing escalation in, in certain trades, but we're also seeing increased competition. You know, jobs that we're bidding currently, we're getting more subcontractor bids than ever before. Uh, in the past times when we've seen cost escalation, it's usually been because it's hard to get two, two electricians to bid a job or whatever the sure. Um, in this case, we can get multiple bids, but especially in, in trades with steel or metals, piles, structural steel, curtain wall, windows, uh, HVAC, we're seeing, you know, costs uh, coming, going up because of, because of uh, you know, the, the cost of the raw materials and procurement, uh, whereas the more labor-based trades like uh, Drywall, lath and plaster, concrete—you know, uh, those those costs are coming down. So, so overall, projects are are staying in budget, but there's there's variation between the trades, kind of depending on yeah. Where and what is causing some of the competition? You you mentioned there's more com competition, more companies are kind of you know bidding. Uh, what what is causing that? Is it lack of work elsewhere? That's what um, I believe. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing subs bid to us who haven't been to us for, for a while. And, and I think, you know, they were busy doing other things and those things aren't being built right now. Right. Hi, yeah, Steve. Yeah. How about you guys? So, yeah, uh, no, I, I agree. Um, I, I like to just, you know, when I go in front of the customers, I say everything costs more, you know, we get almost on a, a, a daily or weekly basis. We get a material cost increase notifications for, you know, materials across the board are, equipment skids for, you know, utility support for, you know, manufacturing and stuff like that. The cost have just gone through the roof. But I think, I feel like the worst is kind of over for that. Um, I think, you know, another side of the cost increase is also talent. Um, the good, the good project management teams, the good superintendents and stuff like that, everything's costing more in that, uh, in that um, regard as well. So it's costing more to find and keep good people. Uh, and keep, you know, keep the, keep the right teams on the right job. So there's a lot of, you know, there's several factors that uh, are, are part of the cost increases, but I'm trying to start to feel like it's kind of leveling off a little bit to some degree. Okay. I don't know if anybody else feels that way, but um, I, th I think it's going to get better before it gets worse. Yeah. You know, Steve, you're, you're right. I think, um, I mean, you look at the construction um, um, inputs and outputs last quarter inputs went up. Uh, by 26% on, on cost. And actually the output, which is the price of the subcontractors went up by only 5%. This quarter is 17% up versus 5%. Uh, 
So we're seeing some absorptions to uh, uh, Bob's point, I think. There is a little bit of capacity. I think it might expire maybe by Q2 of next year. Um, we think materials have maybe started to modulate, maybe stable. Usually things when they go up, they don't come down with the same amount. But what I wanted to go back to your question about the industry and call it the word blame, but let's look at the project uh, and its components. I mean, if, if you add up what we as a GC put into the job, GCs, fee, insurance, bond, et cetera, it's maybe 10% or less. So let's focus on the 90%. That's material equipment and labor. Um, labor rates are predictable, especially if, if it's union, union town, there are agreements, we know where this is going. Equipment, not much usually, but let's look at the material, let's focus on what we can control. Um, what China does in the global market and Saudi Arabia in the oil industry, none of us can control. We would be making a lot more money uh, if we, we were able to control what happens there. What we can control is reliable information and predictability on the diversity of supply chain. We can do that if we are early uh, with our clients at the table and design partners for decisions made. Two, a job has a pot of money that needs to pencil. You can spend this money on unforeseen conditions or delayed permits or material escalation. If we're at the table and I've done it on a job lately, our clients put a construction contingency in their budget at 10%. They only had to spend 3% and maybe 2% of that was selective owner change orders. So if we get ahead of the unforeseen conditions and not sure, you know, you're spending a lot less on those, we know what's down there and then avoid the permits and the utilities, which we didn't have a lot of influence over. You can take that money and spend it on another problem. But if we keep just coming to a project and stop and uh, spend a lot of money on contaminated soil that everybody knew has been there for 100 years and we didn't do enough investigations, you, you, you make a choice on where you want to spend your money. I would rather spend it on unforeseen as in market conditions right. and go discover and uncover and work with the authorities having jurisdictions for two years to get that risk away and put that money back into the job. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about this, um, Bob, when we chatted a couple of days ago, you talked about the you know, procurement methods um, are, are evolving. Um, would, would you mind kind of giving us an overview sort of what, what your point there was? Sure. You know, I, I think uh, private developers and private clients have, have long seen the benefit of the, the collaborative approach, getting a, a general contractor involved early. And so, but the public side has lagged in that, you know, partially due to, to you know, the, the, the legal requirements. But like SFO, for example, uh, they're big proponents of progressive design build. Uh, their process works great. They, they have a strong commitment to partnering as you go through design and construction, which, which makes for uh, a, a much better process. And so we're starting to see some, some other public entities go to CM at risk or or progressive design build. And I think that's a big step forward in terms of uh, improving the outcomes on, on public projects. Yeah. So uh, I think a couple of you mentioned that you are seeing some tapering off uh, in terms of these, you know, material costs. I, I don't want to put anybody on the spot here specifically, but, you know, if you could look into sort of 2022 and maybe a little bit beyond uh, is there any? Is there a range? Is there a ballpark of sort of where you think some of those costs might be might be heading? Um, just just as a guide. And again, uh, full disclosure: no one's going to be <laughs> held to to this to this webinar to you know uh, you know sign on the dotted line that, that you know this is the maximum that this is going to increase. 
Worst case, we're, we're projecting, you know, two to 5% overall material and some of our uh, specialty equipment costs, whether it's mechanical equipment and uh, some of our electrical switch gear, uh, that kind of stuff. But, you know, our fingers are crossed that that's going to level off. We are working with clients on some of our larger projects that are, you know, more long-term viability in trying to project setting up the right contingency and then, you know, showing them where we can potentially save some money. But, you know, with all of that, you know, and, and, and Hani's hit on it, uh, and, and I know Bob has too, getting the contractors involved early, getting us in the process and don't wait till the end. That's not like the old days. Wait till the end, put it out to bid, waste time that way. Uh, find a good contractor, get us involved, bring in our knowledge and experience and let us make this project better, faster and, and save some money. That's, that's, that's kind of our drumbeat with our uh, clients now. So, Yeah. And, and Vlad, just um, obviously the, the, the underline, this has been and continues to be a healthcare caused market condition. Right. So right. everything is going to depend where this is going. While we're all optimistic, um, uh, we need to see where that goes. Um, I think we're, 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 you know, we have some projections. Um, it's, it's, you know, in the maybe four to 5% um, next year, if the healthcare crisis continues to, um, conditions continue to improve, we think the inflation, there are indications overall in general, maybe it will, you know, consumers switch um, their um, spending from services to goods. That's actually a big cause more than just the supply chain and construction. Sure. So that's hopefully is going to take some time, but taper off maybe Q2 of next year. And that's what you're going to say more stability, maybe a little bit down on the um, material that went just crazy through the roof, but at least going to be um, um, hopefully stable. Yeah. And we have one uh, question from the audience that is specifically asking about uh, wood frame and type one structures. Uh, what are the most significant supply chain roadblocks? to mitigate there, uh, if, if anyone can respond to that specifically? Well, as far as, far as wood frame, you know, fortunately lumber prices in general have come down, uh, but engineered lumber is, is very, very tough to get still. Um, glue lambs, TJIs, that sort of thing. Um, you know, dimensional lumber is more available, but anything engineered is, it's, you're still fighting long lead times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things that, that you insinuated is also labor shortage. And I know these were challenges even pre-pandemic. Um, it was hard to find sort of good workers. I can only imagine that uh, in the last two years, those issues have uh, only escalated. Um, there's a lot of it written and talked about, about, you know, the you know great resign or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, have you noticed that in the construction industry also? And how, how, in, in how has it been playing itself out? Oh yeah, both both in the primary company and, and again as a self-performer, we hire from the union trades as well. Um, the phenomenon's real, and I would say that you know the great par paradoxes in business are always fascinating to me. And so you've got this idea that contractors are innovative, we're problem solvers, and yet at the same time, it's an industry that's been known for telling you how we've done this for the you know for the last twenty years. This is the way we always do it. So much like that paradox, this idea that. Times of uncertainty require us to embrace change, to understand that we can't control you know, what we can't control. And we have to be able uh, to come to work every day with that uncertainty and still feel set up for success. And so culture and engagement, getting people comfortable that they you know, have a safe and stable environment through times of change and turbulence uh, matters whether you're talking about 
uh, people that come to you from a four-year college or an associate school or an apprentice program. And so we have been continuing to focus on supporting our people, providing an environment that feels safe and secure. Uh, but the phenomenon's real. And in the Bay Area especially, we have this notion that affordable housing for the workers isn't available in the core markets. And so now you're asking people not just to come to work every day, but maybe to do it on BART or to do it on a bus or to do it on a train. And that's, you know, that's another level of risk for, for people coming out of a pandemic. And so, you know, there's a myriad of different ways to attack, you know, the same problem. But for us, we continue to invest in small local business. We continue to look way, you know, for ways to partner with our communities, recognizing that 90% of the buildings aren't the general contractor, right? How can you work with people that are closer to home, that know their markets, that this is their neighborhood? And how can we continue to support um, our employees to feel safe and secure through times of uncertainty? Um, but yes, no, no doubt, these are very real issues. The great resignation out there in the market, I'm pretty sure everybody's been seeing it. Yep. Bob, honey, Steve, how about you guys? Yeah, certainly, you know, in the, in the short term, there are workforce challenges, but also uh, this is something that's been going on for a long term, uh, for, for quite a while. Uh, you look at senior superintendents, uh, over the past five years, we've had a few retire. We have a few more working for us currently who, you know, they say, okay, I got one more job and then I'm going to retire, that sort of thing. So, so replacing a superintendent with 30 plus years of experience is no easy thing. And we're seeing this, you know, project managers, estimators uh, uh, all across the company. So, so we've, we've continued to focus and invest on, on training and mentoring so that we can try to take what, what those experienced employees know and, and transfer that knowledge as much as possible to the younger people in the company. Yeah. That's exactly right. I mean, the labor pool out there and, and from superintendents and, and carpenters and everything, it's electricians, especially it, it's very tight. Um, and we need to uh, work with what we have uh, with additional training and additional programs to, you know, make our teams better. Uh, it, it's, it's very tight out there. I don't know if it was a, it's almost like a mass exodus. It almost seems like over the last few years, uh, I know it has a lot to do with housing costs and stuff like that, but sure. I'd like to, you know, see if uh, any of the other panelists feel like that's going to eventually get better. And, and what could we do? How could we partner in making that situation better? Yeah, um, I think I'm going to throw some stats um, uh, just, just to put things in perspective. So the construction industry, the largest in the world, um, uh, productivity um, increased year over year is 1% compared to 3% of the economy, 4% of manufacturing. Um, they're going to be more grandparents than grandchildren by 2030. We have 2 million people who just retired during COVID that were not projected to retire. And we need half a million craft workers just to do the work for next year and without the infrastructure bill. So I'm not trying to be negative, but there are opportunities that we need to capitalize on. This industry needs to change uh, back to what Scott uh, mentioned um, some of the stuff that we have done, and it's, it's, it's this way because Hammurabi did it, you know, 4,000 years ago. Some stuff is still done that way. Um, you look at the, um, I could put them in two categories. It's technology, and this is, you know, um, offsite fabrication, prefabrication, modular, data analytics, et cetera, and talent. Um, even construction management program admission um, is down 12%. So you, you talk to professors, they're like, we need, we didn't have the supply. So we need to be a lot more productive 
and a lot less wasteful in this industry to do the work that our clients want us to do with the talent pool that we have. There is so much time we can spend and processes on our toilet paper holders of metal. Uh, we really need to think creatively and outside of the box here. People want to work for good companies with good life, work-life balance, good culture, um, uh, collaborative, not confrontational. And this is a challenge, big challenge for the industry. And I think back to Steve's question, we need to get together, collaborate as an industry, not just GCs, to make this industry very attractive to all kinds of talent, especially younger talent, for us to sustain this growth while embracing change and technology back to what Scott mentioned. Right, right. Yeah, I think, I think there's a huge opportunity for the industry overall to do a better job with public relations. You know, uh, people who aren't in the industry have a perception of what construction is, and they don't realize what a great career it can be, how satisfying and, and uh, well-paid it can be. And so, uh, you know, when, when we interview uh, people for internships at colleges, you know, we frequently hear, well, I mean, I got into the CM program because my father was in construction, my uncle, my next door neighbor. Uh, you know, people don't think of, if, if, you, if you're not already aware of construction, you don't think of it as a career necessarily. So I think there's a big opportunity there for, for the industry to just do a better job publicizing ourselves. Yeah, interesting. Um, one of our uh, uh, members of the audience also had a question around mental health, and obviously that's been something that's been, uh, um, you know, heightened. I would argue over the last, you know, twenty months or so. Um, have you noticed that as a factor in in some of your, um, you know, human resources um, issues? Yeah, I think that's you know industry wide. This is a big. Uh, I'll, I'll be brief because this is a big soapbox for me. It's a passion of mine that. Command and control cultures, right? Construction, military, emergency first responders, those have long been defined by command and control. And command and control teaches you you're supposed to be perfect. Mistakes are not okay. Weakness is not okay. Vulnerability is not okay. We've been working for over a decade with coaching and development at Panko to break away from command and control to an engaged style of leadership that allows for vulnerability. One of the things I'm most proud of in 2021 was we went back and we listened to our people, surveyed our people, and we updated our mission and our core values. And I'm proud to say one of our core values was belonging unlocks our full potential, our greatest potential, and mistakes. Mistakes are inevitable and invaluable, right? We have to make it safe in the construction industry for people to be their full selves, warts and all, and to know that that's how we learn, right? And that's another one of those great paradoxes in business. The more you defend the status quo, the less you learn, and the faster we learn, the more we're going to be able to adopt new innovations, new technologies, and we're going to be able to actually, you know, make this industry more efficient and more attractive as a career. So that is where I'll stop. But I'll just say mental health starts with allowing people to make it safe to be weak, to make it safe to feel yes. scared, to make it safe to admit your mistakes openly as learning opportunities. We have to make that safe. Um, couldn't, couldn't agree more with, with Scott and I share your passion. I told Vlad, I'm actually, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I decided to go back to school. I'm in a graduate degree program to study industrial and organizational psychology, <laughs> um, to really, you know, this is going to be, I think the biggest challenge in the industry moving forward in terms of talent. We, we don't have a lot of science and evidence-based practices when it comes to managing workforce in this industry. It got to change for us 
to not be a Kodak or a BlackBerry. Um, psychological safety, a term that you're gonna maybe hear more about needs to come to construction, it cannot be only the tech companies. We did this year with some partners, the Construction Inclusion Week as an industry, what a milestone, similar to the Construction Safety Week. This, um, 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 I call it well-being, it's not really mental yeah. health sometimes, right. there are stigmas, right. but the well-being of not just the employees, the workers at the job site, how can we make the job sites more attractive to people to show up? And we didn't have just a, you know, um, um, an ugly fence and an ugly trailer and a dirty job site. It makes a difference. Uh, we need as an industry with our clients, design and trade partners to continue to improve on that aspect. I think it's going to be the breakthrough that will make or break the industry in the next 10 years. Yeah. And I would argue, I think there was a question from uh, one of the audience members about, you know, also diversity and inclusion and that kind of stuff. Are, are these areas that you guys are focused on also? Yeah, absolutely. we are absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, uh, well, go ahead, Steve. No, I was gonna. I was just gonna say absolutely. I mean that that that's been the, that's been the trend for a while at Goodell and Cocal and and probably with the the other panelists and stuff like that. That's absolutely something that we all need to work on and right. and continue to uh, cultivate. So uh, that that's a good point. Bob, go ahead. Yeah. So for us, it, it kind of. Uh, plays out in two ways. One is uh, for the carpenters and laborers that we recruit. And, uh, you know, what we do, what we've, what we've been doing is, you know, we, we get a new hire dispatched, somebody who's gone through City Build or Cypress Mandela or one of the, the local programs. And, and we'll pair that person up with one of the carpenters and laborers on the job who's a long-term maybe person. And, and that person is responsible for mentoring uh, that new hire so that certainly from a safety point of view, they understand our expectations, but also just um, the, 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 the culture of the company that how to get your way around the job site, what, you know, how, how to be successful in construction, because uh, I believe strongly that to be a union tradesperson is a great career. And uh, you know, we want, we want somebody new to the industry to be able to see the potential and not just see, Oh, I'm, I'm going to work here for a few weeks and then, and then, who knows? And then for our salaried staff, uh, you know, what we did starting several years ago was really broaden the outreach of where we, we recruit, um, not just Cal Poly and Chico, but Sac State, Cal State East Bay, um, uh, even you know, the city, San Francisco has a program called CAPSA where they do, they do training of administrative personnel and just really broadening where we're recruiting from so that we, we do get that diversity and, and provide opportunity for, for more people. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Great. Um, well, um, let's go back to some of the <coughs> industry trends, if you will. Um, you guys touched upon a little bit about, you know, 2022 and what you anticipate kind of, you know, happening in terms of uh, how busy you will be and where some of the activity is going to happen. Um, from the point of view of sort of the areas in which you guys, you know, you know, uh, you know, participate in, and you all sort of told us about that in the in the beginning of this of this session, um, could you kind of give us a little bit of a forecast in terms of you know 2022 and um, you know beyond? Um, you know, Steve, let's start with you in life science. That's obviously a big a big deal. Um, a lot of companies want to do life science. A lot of you know developers want to convert their projects into life science. It's sort of the new darling of, of the Bay Area, if you will, right? Not the new, but maybe the sort of new old darling or however you want to call that, right? Um, 
but uh, but I'd love to hear from all of you also about other 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 parts of the um, you know industry. But Steve, why don't we why don't we start with with you? Okay, so on the life science part of it, like I said, we've been pretty pretty fortunate because the the life science is broken into different categories. We have you know the life science, the office to life science conversion, and then the lab TI buildouts. Uh, we also have a campus that we do. We're a preferred vendor for. Uh, Biopharma, which is, you know, an international company that keeps us very busy. So that's another good part of it. Uh, the other part of it is that, you know, we're, we're establishing and, and cultivating relationships with some of the larger developers that uh, are looking to do the conversion, um, converting their properties, whether it's tilt-up warehouse, whether it's, you know, multi-story office or whatever, and, and what it would take from a budgeting and feasibility standpoint um, we've actually got a protocol now where we go in, we survey properties, we do preliminary budgets, we right. uh, have different models for different types of tendencies and stuff like that for future, what's going to happen to the building. So uh, that's keeping us extremely busy on that side of it. Um, and fortunately, some of the other sectors we specialize are, are definitely busy as well. So uh, biopharma, medical device and life science are, are definitely, uh, I see explosive growth. Okay, uh, Scott. I would say that the um, the theme from before comes back for me, which is um, you got to know your clients. At the end of the day, you got to be able to solve their problems, and you got to know your market. You got to be able to give them solutions with reliable, you know, feedback early, so that they can make the commitments they need um, in delivering on their business plan. But within the Bay Area, especially, but LA equally true. To, you know, to a lesser extent, maybe. But there's micro there's micro economies. Right. Things that are going to happen and make sense in Silicon Valley won't pencil in the East Bay. Sure. Right. So you really do as forward sellers present in the market. you got to understand the business drivers for your clients. And so for us, diversity is still a key. Um, we're not putting all our eggs in one market or another. We're, we're continuing to stay with our clients that are struggling. Right. We want to help them struggle through these uncertainties, whether that's office building clients or retail clients. We want to hang with them and figure out what those next pain points are. What's the next evolution for them? And we believe as a value-add partner, if we can be more nimble than them, if we can be quicker to the business solution, you know, then even they you know, are, are ready to respond, but certainly our competition, then we're going to continue to be in that role where we're trusted advisor and partner. So there's not one magic market sector for us, but it's, it's the way of thinking. It's the scrappy startup mentality to just be out there with your clients, even the ones that are struggling now, especially the ones that are struggling now to be relevant in solving problems and be bringing them reliable solutions. You know, that's the next innovation. And, and Scott, when you talk about the struggle, I mean, is this primarily tied to financing of, uh, you know, projects uh, or, or are there other drivers that are also in, in, impacting that? Well, it certainly depends on the, the market sector you're talking about, but it, you know, commercial office or retail as, sure. as a, um, as an example, right? If you're, if you're a commercial office landlord and you're, you're in the middle of seven different potential deals and now all of a sudden nobody's going to work. I mean, imagine that pivot, putting yourself in the different shoes. You know, there were certainly people that thrived during the uncertainty of 2020, the chaos of 2020, but many others were, were shut flat, right? Businesses, they knew it ended for a period of time. Yeah. Um, they're still reinventing themselves, right? I, I, I truly believe with our commercial office clients, they haven't seen the worst, right? The leases that are expiring over the next three years are the next shoe. Yep. And what we're all going to yep. have to figure out together is get out in front of those are valuable spaces. 
they're going to be a tremendous opportunity. There's going to be emerging markets for how to pivot and put those spaces back to work for our economy. We want to be there. Yeah. Uh, that's a very, very interesting point uh, about the leases that are, that are expiring. It, it, it will be a great indicator of sort of the health of the market, I suppose, right? Uh, Bob, how about you guys? Well, in the short term, uh, for, for us, it's, it's pretty much all uh, affordable housing. You know, that's, that's where the funding is going, and that's where our resume is very strong. We've got many long-term client relationships. You know, geographically, 10 years ago, we were San Francisco, Oakland. Uh, now we're from San Jose to Santa Rosa. So, so we're, we're, we, over the past years, we've been building new relationships with clients and, and just expanding in that sense. Uh, the other thing that we're going to continue to focus on, you know, we've, we've self-performed concrete for a long time. As I mentioned earlier, we're, we're now self-performing production framing. And, and a big reason for that was, uh, you know, the, the recession, the Great Recession put a lot of union framers out of business. And there's just a lot less competition right now. And so, so in terms of being able to provide certainty, cost certainty for our clients, we felt like we needed to get in and, and self-perform that work or at least offer that option to be able to protect budgets. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's rare that a client comes in and says, I have too much money, spend whatever you want. You know, it's, budgets are always tight. We always have to be as creative as possible to, to help, on it, help with the, the design and, and, uh, and, and get projects to budgets to make them go. Yeah. And Bob, you guys have also partnered with other um, GCs like your, you know, Mission um, Rock project, right, with um, Hathaway, right? Is that something that, you know, might be a hallmark of, of the industry going, going forward also is to find some of these, um, you know, places where two companies can, can you know, do stuff together? Uh, if it makes sense, sure. Uh, uh, you know, and, and we've like using Hathaway as an example, we've looked at other opportunities with them where there's a residential component and a right. and an office component. And so um, uh, if, and then, you know, other times reasons for JVs are, are due to capacity. If sure. it's a large project and you want to spread the risk or, or uh, just kind of share personnel, they make sense in that, in that way. Makes sense. Yeah. Honey, how about you guys? Where, where do you see, uh, the activity coming coming from? So I think we're going to stay busy in the public sector, um, all from Sacramento to Clovis. Um, uh, we have gotten into the industrial business um, and warehousing. I think that's obviously very busy. Higher ed is coming back. I think uh, you'll see more of it uh, than maybe in the last um, couple of years. Um, private, while well, we can talk, we have, you know, office building and apartment building we're um, I'm looking at, but while we can talk, talk about the construction cost and um, rent, it's going to be all about interest rates and cost of capital next year. So we'll see how that and the feds are talking about it already. There will be an evolution, in my opinion, in the affordable housing, which you know has been historically maybe a type five, et cetera. I think the workforce, the affordable from um, federal to local on state, I think it's going to evolve. I would love to hear uh, uh, Bob's opinion on that. And then adaptive reuse for the empty spaces and biotech is getting some of those. I think it's going to be another area to look into. But that's back to the diversity, not just uh, portfolio project size, also geographically. Sure. Uh, we're lucky to be in an area, you have different flavors, so you wanna stay flexible and adaptive uh, while not getting in trouble. Right, 
Right, right, right. We have a few minutes left here. Um, what I'd like to do is uh, ask a couple of questions around, you know, innovation and, you know, technology. Um, you know, the COVID pandemic has been a great accelerator of trends in every industry. I, I can't imagine it hasn't impacted construction either, but but maybe it hasn't. I don't know. Um, I would love to hear from, you know, you guys, you know, if we look, you know, five, 10 years from now, what do you anticipate would be some of those uh, technological innovations that will be the hallmark of the industry going forward? Well, I think construction management software and uh, also, you know, when we talk about improving and training our staff and, and increasing, you know, our talent base and stuff like that, taking some of the, some of the uh, progress that's been made with construction management software and everything in that regard, and training our staff from the bottom all the way to the top and all points in between um, has become, you know, extremely important and very effective for efficiency, not only efficiency, but communication and helping with some of the other stuff about having people feel like they're involved, um, getting past, you know, what Scott described as command and control. That's, that's, that doesn't work anymore. So it's about getting people involved, getting them trained, showing them new ways of doing things. Um, and that, you know, basically, I tell people we've been around for 40 years. We're going to be around for 40 more because of the way, you know, you prepare for the next few years or the next five or 10 years. So that's a big part of it. I would say construction technology is, is just, you know, really made some, some great advances for everybody. Scott, Bob? I'll jump in. I'm not shy. Um, yeah, I mean, this is an interesting one where the people, the people matter. It's not just about the tools. Right. Sure. When 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 we updated our, our our mission, we called it reimagine the building experience through human innovation. Right. Because it's it's got to be the people are the drivers. And yet you've got this trend of an aging workforce, uh, a reducing labor pool. And so, yeah, the robots are coming. But when you talk about bringing it all together, collaborative delivery, again, if we think about the way we build television sets, the way we build you know cars, we don't build them the way we build buildings. This idea of bringing 40 different vendors to a place and having them all collaborate, right? There's going to be game changing um, the way we deliver buildings and bringing things together using prefabrication, volumetric construction. It changes, it has to change the way we contract for the procurement of those buildings right. to change the way we deliver them, right? So the tools are evolving quickly and it's going to happen. I, I was, was not joking when I said the robots are coming. The robots are coming <laughs> because the labor isn't there, but it's also because we have to be more efficient. We have to be less wasteful. And so I'm excited about the cross-section of that tools and the technology. Uh, but just remember, innovation requires you, you know, to be fearless. Requ innovation requires you to embrace change, to embrace that there's more that you don't know than the, what you do know. And you have to be able to fail safely to learn quickly so it's an exciting time, the future ahead. I keep telling people, no matter what this pandemic's thrown at us, you should wake up every day knowing there's a lot more to be excited about than there is to be afraid of. Yep. Um, yeah. go, go ahead. Oh, thank you. So um, really on the technology piece, I mean, you know, we remember the T-square from maybe architectural engineering school. It's gonna be about technology and talent. Technology, prefab, 3D printing, data analytics, uh, software is all of that is, is gonna come to the industry in five years but it's gonna be all about talent. This is gonna be uh, uh, people's business, continues to be. The last thing that will be automation is human interactions. And it's gonna be really about 
developing these skills, mainly emotional intelligence, critical skills. I don't call them soft skills anymore. Um, but at the same time, get used to younger people in the industry. We can't keep saying, well, and we see RFPs and clients, well, if it's not 15 years experience, it's always a multiplier of the number five, which has no basis in science. <laughs> I have people who've done projects very successfully, seven, eight years out of college as leaders. Give them a chance. They're diverse too, by the way. You want to be diverse and inclusive. Get used to younger people. Um, we need just to figure out how to upskill and train them. It takes somebody five years to get a PhD. Shame on, shame on us if, as a leaders if we don't get somebody to be a successful PM in five years. Well said. And for me, the thing that I hope, I sincerely hope that we see in five to 10 years from now is, is much more progress on sustainability. You know, what we talk about in our company is it's, it's how we build and it's what we build. You know, we need to make greater improvements in, in how we build and prefab and, and, and that aspect is going to be a huge, uh, huge opportunity there, but also what we build. You know, we're, we've just finished up our first all-electric building. And okay. that's, that's going to, you know, we just, we need more progress on that. Uh, if we're going to make, you know, if you just think about how long we want these buildings to last, how long they are going to last, you know, we need to be responsible to the environment right now in terms of how they're designed and built. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that. Well, I know all of you take pride in finishing your projects on time and under budget. So I'm going to finish my meeting on time here as well. Um, I want to thank you all for uh, your participation. Um, also, Goodell and, Co uh, and Coco, uh, Nibby and Pankow, thank you guys for you know, helping put this event together. Um, and have a great uh, Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.